This is the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Podcast series. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital. What's going on? Thank you, AV, for our major news. As that is. Thank you, AV. Of course, we have a news brief coming up at 8 o'clock, and that's all courtesy of the wonderful folks out at Champlain Auto Services. All right? So, thank you so much. Of course, uh, before we get into our guest, Rishi Maharaj, let's take a look at what's happening traffic wise through the streets, the highways, and the byways. Of TNT, and we'll start down in San Fernando. What is South looking like? Yep, you got some traffic on the creek. Usual streets out in San Fernando, as well as heading towards Princess Town, Riverland Road. Go to California, got some traffic. Um, and in the Chase Village on the southern main road, also got some there on the highway, the Solo. Yeah, you got traffic from Coover, and that's heading straight up towards the Churchill Roosevelt Highway this morning. Going through Kelly and St. Helena. Getting on to the Valencia stretch through Arima or Hawkinton. Wow, it's just heavy. Wow. It's heavy. I got no Mia Jackson to tell you about, so that's a good thing. Alright? Alright. Um Right, let's get the results of our morning poll, gentlemen. What do we got there? I thought something was wrong on this side. Alright, Rich, let's get the results. As we wait for Richard, let's bring our guest in by the time political analyst Rishi Maharaj. Rishi, good morning, how you doing? Good morning, good morning, guys, and good morning to your listeners. I'm glad you could join us, unlike Richard that just disappeared. Morning, Rishi. We love your picture, but we prefer your live face. Yeah, we need a live stream. <laughs> All right, let's check and organize that. Organize that. Come here, you know. <laughs> like that me. kind of Rishi thing. Teeth. Yeah, because we are streaming for those. Um, we are streaming on YouTube currently. And of course, you could always um, subscribe to us. Recording and hit- in progress. Thank you, Dorothy. And uh, hit the notification as well. Um, and that's on YouTube, of course, all our podcasts, all our recordings, all our interviews are on YouTube. So you could go back, you know, from yesterday all the way back. And um, if you missed it, you could uh, watch it again. All right. Yes. But welcome to you, Rishi. Oh, thank you. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Should I um, put on your camera? Give, yes. If, if you have some time today to give us a poll too. No, the poll results. I can give you the poll results. Lovely. Three minutes ago, you weren't there, so we wonder. Oh you, yeah, because I was gossip. making me coffee. That's all I was doing. Rishi, I thought you were engaged in gossip or something. Rishi, excuse the um the back and forth, <laughs> but um I was just getting my coffee. That's all. Um. So uh. Yes. Yeah, so our poll this morning was: Should um the TNT? Do you think that the Trinidad Tobago Police Service can properly um, tell arrest me and reduce crime in Trinidad and Tobago. That's it. 16 people said no, 
four people said yes. 20 people in all voted in the allotted time. So 16 of you said no, you had no confidence basically that they could. Four people said yes, they can. Well, a couple months ago, the commissioner was quick to say there was no spike in crime. Then a couple months after that, there was a, a, con a concern about domestic violence situations, which was accurate, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to you know the people thinking it's only uh, violent crime in terms of murder and stuff like that. Now, well, there's no doubt, it's a lot of gang-related stuff, and yes, domestic stuff also. But either way, the police service doesn't seem to be on top of things from where I sit. And you know, it's an interesting reversal because for whatever you're, you may like him, dislike him, you certainly are not indifferent to him in terms of the former commissioner, Gary Griffith. Mm -hmm. um, but for and a the lot of... comparisons are, are, are going to be inevitable. Yeah. And for a lot of people, you know, they felt more confident psychologically that he was, uh, was the commissioner of police and they felt that there was some inroads being made. And, and love he, him or and, hate him, yeah. there was a sense of feeling safer. And the comparisons are going to be inevitable, whether yep. you like him or you dislike him. And, and, and that, this is something Mr. McDonald has to deal with. And the TT police service, and I've always said, this on record saying, the police the service should not depend on one person. It should depend on systems and structures that can sustainably reduce crime and solve crime and identify and prevent crime in some instances, but that's not happening. Yep. Not happening consistently at all. And gangs are part of it. Uh, drugs and guns are part of it. But we've always had that here. So the, the question is, does the public feel that you're making inroads? And from where I sit, I don't feel that you're making sustained inroads. Because yeah, one of my good friends, yes, um, he... Had, he sent me a message that basically echoes the same thing, Paul. And he says, um, this place is something else, yes? You move a man who was making inroads into crime, and now you're concerned about the crime situation and calling your country violent? <laughs> and that's why it should not depend on a man. No. See, but, sometimes, so as, but, as, sometimes, as, but sometimes... It you was need, makes a difference. Leadership yeah, is that important. Person, a person can make a difference. Leadership, leadership is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, leadership is important. Leadership can make a difference and be transformational and move things onto a completely different level. Yeah, absolutely so. agree. Rishi, are you back? I think he was organizing his camera. Stories. Oh, I thought he was making coffee. He went about mm -hmm. some makeup and, and lipstick. And, and, for all, and, all for, and for all of our listeners, you heard, you heard how nicely he asked Rishi, um, are you back? Instead of the tirade of abuse that I got, the tirade of abuse that I got. I was going to say, what is tirade? It's not too Yeah, because, because, I got, um, because I got here a little late because I was making my coffee. Which, by the way, is excellent coffee this morning. I really Thank you, Richard. Consuming this morning. <laughs> It's Nescafe. I mean, in the office, offices don't have many brands. <laughs> well, if you are if you are running a an efficient, cost efficient, effective office, I don't expect you to have Blue Mountain or Folgers or something like that. You yeah, use the yeah. local brand, please. Mm. Yep. Especially since you're a state entity, funded entity. Mm-hmm. I want you to be splurging on, on mahogany that's imported from Uganda 
No, you could you could have it, you know, but you need to bring it yourself. You need to pay for it. And I don't, I'm not sure that the, the state of the price standing or the manual allows you to bring in your private stuff inside the office, okay? Because you don't I, know how long you're going to be there. No, but you might leave it. But because I have been I have been to P.S.'s office, and P.S. said you want some coffee, Richard, and she had her own little coffee section. Which you can little, bring your stuff, yep. Yeah, okay. with her own little brewed coffee. And I said, of course I'm going to have some coffee. I'm not one to refuse coffee. Yeah, true, eh? <laughs> so. Why should you? Coffee is a wonderful thing. Uh, coffee right. starts your brain it in the helps. morning. It helps. And I've had, I've, I've had two hectic days. God knows, I can't talk about it on your now, but I've had two hectic days. Two hectic days. If we had a tea room, I could have given it there, but I can't give it on air because there are too many macos listening. And you all know who you all are. But two hectic days. But while we wait for Rishi to come on and solve his technical issues, um, I just wanted to remind people that theatre is on um, this weekend at Sapper. And, of course, we have some additional outlets. We are going, to, we are going through this, this um, I suppose, uh, um, transformation with regard to outlets. Um, as the pet butler would well know. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we have our outlets for South, and now we have several outlets for South for four. For, we have actually four outlets for San Fernando, um, Sapper, this weekend. So in San Fernando itself, you have Friends of Marabella and by the roundabout in Marabella. So that's one outlet. In Gulf City, you have K-Squared Fashions in Gulf City, um, which I think is pretty much opposite the B-Mobile store on the upper level. And in C3 Center in San Fernando, at K-Squared Fashion, which is also on the upper level, um, we also have tickets there. So K-Squared Fashions in both, it's like a K with the squared sign on the top, K-Squared Fashion, both in Gulf City and in C3 Center are both outlets. And in the Chagornas area, Creme Fresh, and, and it's pronounced... It's spelled F-R-A-I-C-H-E, Creme Fresh at the Brentwood Mall um, in Chagonas. That's our latest outlet, and they already have tickets. Um, it's a wonderful little, it's a wonderful store. It's a, a gourmet shop, and um, so they were very um, enthused in coming on board and being one of the outlets for theatre. It's always great when you have new partners with theatre. Mm-hmm. So Creme Fresh. Thanks for coming on board at Brentwood Mall in Chagones. They also have tickets to Ladies' Room in Sapper this weekend, Saturday at 8 and Sunday at 6 We have had, I don't know, we have had close to 40, over 40 plus comments of people who are just using the words like excellent. They laugh. One woman said she laughed till she peed. So that's... I didn't, so that's I didn't want to know who cleaned that up. So I'm just telling you. Good morning, Rishi. It's, it's re- it's re- we're already having guys. some good response. Good morning, Rishi. I was just g- giving you time, and so I took the opportunity to talk about my play, which you have not come to as yet, but we're in Sapa yeah, this have, weekend. I, I, have, I have to visit Mika. You know, two years is up now, so I think it's time to now start back mm-hmm. living yeah. life and having these experiences again. Don't worry. It's coming back up north a week after. All right, good. Well, I'm not sure. Oh dear. But good morning, Rishi, and welcome to the Power, Bre- Power Breakfast Show on Power 102 Digital. We are, you know, we always appreciate your input. So much to no discuss. Yeah, so right. much. All right, let's go. Uh, yeah. The present executive has quite a bit facing them. Let's start with Foster Cummings, Minister of Youth, I think, 
your development, if I'm not mistaken, and many allegations swirling. Uh, and what, what do you think the, uh, the Prime Minister in one of the dailies today, I can't confirm, but in the one of the dailies reporting, the Prime Minister saying he has full confidence in Minister Cummings uh, in terms of the allegations being hurled at him. What do you think about this? We've had allegations against sitting ministers mm -hmm. almost in every administration. What do you think the protocol should be? Our discussion yesterday surrounded, the, I guess, the, the seriousness of the allegation and the evidence that may be supporting it or no, in terms of whether or not the Prime Minister removes an, uh, a minister until his, his or her name is cleared, and the impact of that on, on their political capital. Well, it, it's, it's interesting that as a country, I mean, when, when we were taught, uh, when I was in university and taught by the John Laguerre's and the Dafaganis of, of, at UWE, you know, we were always taught that we follow the Westminster model of, of democracy uh, coming out of, of England. And that, you know, in those types of organized models, uh, the minister has ultimate responsibility for his, his ministry. And obviously, the prime minister has ultimate responsibility for the government. And you, you always thought that these types of, especially the Westminster-like model, doesn't really have the unofficial unwritten codes of conduct, that the way you behave and you conduct yourself when you're elected official. And one of it has been that once you have been uh, accused of some misdoing or, or wrong, you know, that you do the gentlemanly thing and you step aside and you allow the investigations and everything to go through and then allow your name to be cleared and then once there, there's no wrong then then you obviously once the prime minister sees it that you come back but like i said that's a model that we were modeled after whether or not it's something that we've ever but you're, done you're in this country we are modeled after that but prime minister boris johnson was accused of breaching the COVID regulations mm -hmm. and attending a COVID party, which was subsequently confirmed. And he did not step aside and he did not step down. So, so and that yeah, yeah. is the and, center and, of the Westminster and, system. And, that, and that's the point that I was going to make that, you know, although we are modeled after, you know, the way that the system was designed to work. It's something that over the last, I would say, maybe 15, 20 years, we've started to see, at least in the UK, and then trend. I think it's always been like that in a way where, you know, prime ministers don't remove someone from office until it becomes a, a national scandal and becomes a burden on the back of, of, the, of the party. My own personal view is that Mr. Cummins should do the honourable thing and resign or at least step aside you know, we're not saying whether he's guilty or innocent. I mean, a report has been done. The accusations have been made. Everybody has the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. And he, like anybody else in, in the country, has the right to defend his name and, and defend his innocence. But I think especially given the position and the portfolio that he holds youth. And, you, you know, we see that that sense of, 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 of youth in, in the country uh, have been a, a, a lack of trust in our leaders and those that we hold up to authority that they should be they should put themselves to a higher standard. I think that he should do the right thing and maybe step aside. And I think the Prime Minister, although I hear what the Prime Minister is saying, I think I, I, I think it, it's definitely something that the Prime Minister should do and at least ask him to step aside while these investigations go through and he has a chance to clear his name. You know, if you could, if you can contextualize that part a little bit more for our audiences, for our audience, sorry, because the issue 
because he's innocent until proven guilty. And I think the prime minister's narrative is, is indirectly and directly connected to that in saying that, look, this is an allegation and therefore I have full confidence in him, et cetera, et cetera. There is no uh, provable misfeasance at this point. Um, b- but what you are saying in terms of us, your opinion that Foster Cummings, Foster Cummings should resign is that you're saying as a public official, you're held to a higher standard. And even if it's not provable at this point, the mere idea that there is an element of doubt or an element of some level of, of an incident or incidents that can tarnish your professional image, um, you should step aside and, and work that out before you hold yourself up to, to office. If, um, I think that's what you're saying, Rishi. And so I, don't, I want you to, if you could explain it, in, in because this kind of conversation comes up all the time. What is people's partnership? It's, it's nothing new, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it always we, comes we, up. We, 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 I mean, I remember Pandey during his tenure as prime minister said, if you have a accusation against against a member of my cabinet, don't take it to me, take it to the police. The police are the ones who do the investigation. And uh, we've had it throughout our, our, our life as, as, a, as a democracy, as a country, where ministers have been accused of all sorts of different things. And, you know, the prime ministers would normally stand by them, put their weight behind them. But then that weight only goes so far until it becomes untenable. And then the prime minister has, has to take no, chance, no choice but to eventually bite, bite the bullet and get rid of them. We just know for the last example. But, but then what, what is, the benchmark? Is, is the benchmark pending criminal charges? Because then a prime minister can find him or herself in the position in our present political climate mm-hmm. of allegations being tossed every week, one. What is the benchmark? Uh, in this case, a former police commissioner, who is now a politician again, mm-hmm. has said that he took the report, a report, let me say, to the prime minister. Comparisons are being made, either erroneously or uh, appropriately, so I, I haven't made up my mind yet, with the Mali McDonald situation where allegations had been made for years. Right. And it's only when, on, on the eve of criminal charges being laid, Miss McDonald was removed. So, so what is the benchmark? That's a, that's a decision that a, that a prime minister has to make for themselves. You're right. I mean, every day you'll hear opposition parties, whoever the opposition may be, come and make accusations left, right, and center. Does that mean every time an accusation is made, you remove your, your, your minister? I, I think not. So the prime minister, each prime minister obviously should have a threshold. But we're talking here about at least what I've seen in the newspapers and reported in the media, that there was a, a report that was done by the special branch, if I remember correctly. And that report was somehow leaked out to the media. I, I think I saw the commissioner of police wasn't too happy that the report was was leaked. But there was an investigation done. And obviously, we all agree that the investigation was done at a very a low level in terms of to be able to see exactly what went on or whether there was any, any grounds to continue some investigation. And there was, at least from what I understand in the reports, some level of accusation that the minister was involved in certain activities. So I think given that the police investigation was quote unquote done, and there seems to be some level of, I wouldn't say truth, but accusations. But, like, but do accusations we know that? We, we don't know what is contained in the report. A report well, then, was done and handed to the prime minister. The report could have made it 
could have initiated further investigation or he could have in, e exonerated the, the person in question. We don't know. Well, then why don't we make the report public? Exactly. Yeah. And you know, this comes after. Just quickly, if I was to wear, for example, if I was to wear my freedom of information hat, that Richard knows I wear very well, mm. and somebody was to make an FOI request and you, you want to claim, for example, national security investigations that you can't do it, then you'll have to balance public interests, and public interests will see that you have a certain minister that may be that may be accused of something, and whether it's in the public interest to at least make the report public, a or b redact certain types of information, but at least put the facts of the case out there for people to make their their decision. It's only for right now what what we're having here is semantics in terms of you know we're thinking we're not sure, but unless you have transparency or some level of transparency protecting, of course, parties that you would need to protect in criminal investigations, then there needs to be some level of transparency so at least people understand what's going on and make better informed decisions. Without that, then we'll just keep talking in circles. Well, especially if you're saying that you have full confidence in, then it means in, in your interpretation of the report is mm -hmm. that there is no merit or there is no substance or there is nothing that's negative to affect your confidence in X. Mm -hmm. So therefore, there is absolutely no political harm in releasing the report assuming that your judgment coinc coincides um, properly with regard to the report and what you're seeing in public exactly yeah so, I mean, the prime minister may have read the report she prime minister i'm sure may have spoken to mr cummins and asked him frankly listen this is what it says tell me the truth don't 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 be down the bush and based on those things he may have come to his conclusion that okay, there, there's nothing of, of utmost that, that scandal here. And he maintains his confidence, which is perfectly right in the Prime Minister's mind to do. But and, and, but you know what? You but you know what? But you know what complicates this picture for the Prime Minister, Rishi? The fact that his former Minister of Agriculture and of Agriculture and State Lands, Clarence Rambrat, um, did indicate pretty publicly that there were issues and and did indicate publicly that those issues were coming from a high level in certain instances and so it feeds into that narrative that that trinidad and the begonians are like well there's something it, to hide it looks like there are several dots waiting to be connected and and you are telling me no don't connect the dot even though you dot right next to each other and that's where the line looking like it's supposed to be it's supposed to be connected but you're saying, no, 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 you don't have to connect it. No. And, and not only that, Richard, and then Minister Ambrat, then Minister Ambrat suddenly resigns. Yep. And then an announcement to, to spend time with his family, and then an announcement made that he's coming back in a land agency. Yes, it, all, all, it demands I mean, explanation. It demands some, again, so I, I go back to the just it demands some level of transparency. What was it that caused him to resign? Because now... At least at the time, I think I remember I was on the show where I, said, I took him at his word that, you know, he saw that, you know, the pandemic and everything, and he wanted to spend time with his family who are away and stuff like that. He take it at his word. But now you have all these other things coming out in the public domain. It, it demands a level of, I think, transparency on, on all parties, because without transparency, then you have accusations and all these things going wrong. And, and, and at the end of the day, the people will, will feed off perception and what the perception feeds for them. And then drive that or use that perception to infer what they want, whether it's right or wrong, and then use that as, as part of their basis in terms of whenever next election comes on, what they're going to do. The, I don't know if you've had sight of the recent comments from um, Karen Inestu Shera, 
with, for, in, in terms of all transparency, so also contributor on this radio station. So we want to just be transparent about that. And she came under fire, and I'm using that word figuratively, from members of the PNM because she said that there was a conversation between herself and the late Prime Minister Patrick Manning where, <coughs> excuse me, certain names were called as big business who may be involved in illegal activity, who have seemingly not been brought to justice. And she, of course, she, she came under fire and people saying, well, you know, you have no right to talk because Clico, you know, the normal Clico thing yeah, comes Clico, up with, yeah. with, with, with Mrs. 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 Nunes Teixeira. And what do you think about that and, and how that situation evolved and is evolving? I think that members, I mean, I, I'm talking here from, from my years of, of, of living in, in Trinidad and hearing people talk that, you know, a lot of people say to bring in illegal drugs in, in this country, it, it's, it's a very big business and it takes a lot of logistics and you need to have a certain level of, of monies and expertise. And there's always been talk in the country. I mean, it, it's pure facts that, you know, the people involved in these things are higher up and uh, command the, 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 the economy of the country, one. And a lot of them embed themselves within the political party system through direct contributions or financing as a way to, to get leverage and to get cover for from prosecution and to protect them from these things. I think this this, this is nothing new that Ms. Nines Shera has, has said that, that has been put out there. I think the, the flack is maybe that you know the PNM fields and the PNM has always been closely guarded with keeping dirty linens well within the realms of the party. And she may seem to have been now, you know, coming out and, and speaking out and putting things out there in the, in the domain that maybe they, they may not like. But at the end of the day, I think we, we need to face the reality in Trinidad and Tobago that, you know, I, I, I actually I told my wife. But, but what does the response ago. to it tell you? Because it's interesting that, of course, the, the, the members of the, the, the party, I think Mrs. Robinson Regis, uh, issued a statement saying, Miss. Miss Mrs. Nunes Teixeira needs to drink water and mind her own business. If Mrs. Nunes Teixeira was party to a conversation with the late Prime Minister Patrick Manning, who told her X, Y, and Z, why is it such a, a, a damning thing for, for somebody to be transparent? Why is it, why is it, why, um, the response surprised me. I understand the questions about Mrs. Nunes Teixeira and the questions about the clique and whether or not she should have been involved given the fact that she had shares left by her late husband uh, at the time and the controversy that surrounded that. But what is the, what is, is, is it that the, 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 the executive thinks that, well, Mrs. Nunes Teixeira is just quote unquote bitter and raising this now to damage the party and the transparency is not worthy at this time? If that is the case, if, if, it's, if the statements were accurate? Or is it that they think that Mrs. Nunes Teixeira shouldn't say anything unless she has proof to substantiate all allegations? I, I'm confused. I think the only party could answer that. I think this whole question of transparency is something that, 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 that scares people, especially people who wear political ink. I always remember reading Tony Blair's biography. And Tony Blair, when he became prime minister in the UK, actually set up the UK's Freedom of Information Act, because their act came way after our law. And when you read his biography, he actually says in his biography that one of the worst pieces of laws he ever passed as prime minister was the Freedom of Information Act in the UK. Because this whole moniker of, of transparency and accountability, especially for, for political parties and political actors, is scare, scary. 
they don't they don't like it they don't like to, to put information out there it, it, they like to control the narrative they like to control the messaging that goes out and maybe the party feels that with mr share putting this out there it, it it gives them lack of control over what type of messaging goes out or how they want it to depict and it paints the party in a way that they maybe don't want it to paint and once it's out there it's out there and you can't take it back so that level of control that they can have over the narrative or the image of, of the party and how the party is going forward is something that I think any any political actor is very fearful of, especially when you have people out there who, who may, according to them, have axed the grind. You know, so that, that level of control really is fearful of them. And that's when they, they bite back and put out issues or put out press releases like the one that the PNM put out after Mr. Shera's statement. Yeah. I'm not sure if we, if we may segue a little bit to the well, to, to the political landscape from a broader view and look at the arrival of the National Transformation Alliance, um, believe. Um, and there, of course, they had a registration process where they were supposed to send in. You're supposed to send in your name, I think, if you're interested. And I have a report. I don't know how true it is. It's, I suppose, gossip at this point, Paul. 200,000 plus people have sent in their names, etc. I don't know if that's true or not. But you stopped um, gossip earlier on, though. Why are, you, why are you propagating gossip now? So what what's your take on the NTA? Of course you have a, you have a, um you have the the three parties, but let's look at the two main ones that are now coming into the foray in a Trinidad context, the PDP and the NTA. And what's your take on it? I think it's fair to say that in Trinidad we have a large percentage of the population. I think maybe 45, 40% of the population that just either don't vote in election and don't find approvals in either the political parties. And that's a sizable amount of people in the population. So there is a sizable electorate out there for the PDP and the, and, and, and the NTA to, to go after. I think it's from a democracy point of view, it's always healthy to have more parties because that, that shows a healthy democracy. I am interested, however, to see the tactics that are going to be used by those two parties to be able to think to get into the, the ground of the PNM. I think, based on what I understand, their main, their, their rifles are aimed at the PNM and in, in making, you know, inroads into the PNM health constituencies. I think I heard the PDP is going into Laventil and, and doing some sort of programs and walkabouts in Laventil. So it's obvious that their guns are trained not on the both political parties existing right now, but the PNM. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, the inroads that they can make. And although they haven't publicly stated right now, I'm sure behind back doors, alliances being made with um, maybe the UNC to maybe form some sort of, of loose alliance going into the election so that those parties could contest specific PNM areas where they can make inroads and UNC contest the normal seats that they contest and find a way to destabilize and, and get at the PNM and, and get them out of office. What is what is their opportunity? Uh, there are about seven or eight swing seats that we that we described. Would you agree with that? Seven or yeah, eight about marginals. seven or eight swing. Yeah, yeah. Seven or eight marginals. Yeah. Uh, the PNM and the UNC both have a core that will not leave no matter what. Exactly. <laughs> there are, I think, 1.1 million eligible persons what persons who are eligible to vote in the country, mm-hmm. uh, and there are about two hundred thousand who will never vote. <laughs> yeah. So is it that the? Sorry. 
several about 900,000 million who will vote maybe every election yeah. depending if they want to right so is it that the these new political entities and I'll add the, and I'll add the PP to it because we mentioned the PDP and the uh NTP. Well, I just said they were the new ones coming yeah. into the picture. The PP so has been there for a little while. They're about three, I guess, formidable, if you want to use that word, uh, entrance into the scene. And is it that they have to target the marginal seats and those who've never voted and the possible ones in the PNM and the UNC who may be on the fringe? Is that their option opportunity? Right. So in Trinidad, you have to remember, we have a first-past-the-post system of elections, not proportional representation. So it doesn't matter the amount of votes that you get. If you don't win a seat, you don't get into parliament. So because of that, because of the way our electoral system is, these parties have to target specific seats that they think the majority of the support is there for them to be able to win the seat. So they have to be very strategic in the types of seats that they, that they want to, to target. They also need to be strategic in the way that they're approaching the elections because I don't think, let, let's use where I live. I, I'm, I'm in Bata, Yasawa. I'm next to St. Joseph. Obviously, consider sometimes as two very marginal seats depending on how the election goes that year. It's about 1,000 votes that separates in, 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 in Bata, Yasawa, and St. Joseph. If you have a case where you know the parties are looking at these two seats as seats that they want to target, it, then they, they're going to have to be strategic about it. And they, there is going to have to be an alliance because if there's not an alliance in terms of deciding what seats you want to target and PDP, NTA, UNC, MPNM comes into Bataille, Samoa, and St. Joseph, when all those four parties are contesting these two seats, I can tell you right now that the PNM is probably going to win because it's going to, they have their core support that will never leave them. And they you know there may be support from the other side that may move one way or the other. Let's look at what happened in 2010, I think, when COP and UNC and PNM went up against Mbata, Yasawa, and St. Joseph, and the, and the UNC lost lost the seat uh, in that election. So I think they, 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 although they're not saying it, there's going to have to be some backroom strategic discussions among these parties as to where they want to 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 go because if all go but, but you know I, one seat, then, they, then it's gonna it's not gonna benefit the the end result that they want but i hear you richie but you know i think for a lot of trinidadians and tobagonians especially now you have the younger vote, voters you have those that are between let's say 18 and 30 and then you have those of 30 and up and 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 I'm I'm kind of separating them because some the higher up the ladder you go the more jaded you get. Yeah. Um, the young people may be more or, or, the more, or the more hardcore committed you are. Yeah, but I'm talking about that that independent group, that group that floating vote that may not vote depending or vote because they they are sufficiently irritated. And and of course you have young people who may or may not be interested in the political process at all those gen gen zers who may be like well am i interested should i even bother um so how you i hear you and i hear you talking about alliances and stuff like that but but if you go up to that jaded group who have had the experiment who have lived the experiment of alliances and have come away from those alliances with a sour taste in their mouth and they may be yearning for an alternative to the UNC and the PNM that they believe matches their interests in how they think Trinidad and Tobago should be governed and how Trinidad and Tobago should move forward. 
they may not be interested that part of the electorate with what you're suggesting they would want a party that says we are transformational or not meaning to use the nta's word but but they don't have a, a copyright on the word they they want a party that's transformational and transformational in a substantive way that does not necessarily be about winning power and aligning itself with 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 characters that that group may find unsavory do we have the data to support that i think at the end of the day it comes down to data and it comes down to knowing the numbers for each constituency is different in the country so you need to do your homework and you need to have some level of understanding of it you just mentioned it demarcating differentiations between older voters and younger voters I think mm. I think based on the, the recent CSO data, I, I think I saw we have I think the large percentage of the population is between about 25, 30 and about 45, 50. That's what the large percentage of the population is. Uh, the over 60 and above is now starting to get get there, but it's still not not sizable. So the question is again, like I said, we have a first past the post system. We don't have a proportional representation system. So where are the numbers for you to win these seats in these constituencies? Yes. You well, I'm just saying that there's a constituency that doesn't want to see the recycled politicians coming back again and again. And that's, Agreed. And that's generally Agreed. a lot Agreed. of the times what the third parties offer. I agree. But the question is, are they sizable enough in a particular constituency for you to win that election? Because I agree, everybody could agree there's about 300,000. I mean, average UNC and PNM together gets about what, 600, 600, and 605, 600, about 700,000 votes every 700, year. 700,000 votes. Yeah, so, so then you have about, so you have three, 300, or 400,000 people who just either don't vote or don't see the enthusiasm to vote. Uh, that's a sizable number. In a proportional representation system, if you got those kinds of votes, you can have serious influence. But in a first past the post system, my argument has always been and continues to be: Does that four hundred thousand control? Is that if that's spread across the country, that do they are they sizable enough to control a constituency for you to win on your own? I think not. I think that's where we've seen the, the failures of the ONR in 1980, the failures of the COP, where they got sizable numbers. When you looked at the final tally, two hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand but they never want a seat because those votes are spread across constituencies and they aren't centered in particular heartland. So unless you can get those numbers in a particular constituency to win an election, to win a seat, to have a say, because I think right now the real election is, if any of those parties could win one seat, just one seat, I mean, we know PDP and Tobago, and that's, that's PDP may control Tobago, may not, but let's look at Trinidad. If you can control one seat, just one, then you can have a serious say anywhere our political landscape is now. But the question is, is that constituency of devoid voters who don't like what exists? Are there enough in one place that you can control that, control that and win a seat? I, yeah. I don't know. Who do these parties presence favor? You just mentioned PDP in Tobago. Do you think the PDP look up to House of Assembly when it's translatable on a national scale to the two seats in Tobago? One and two. You mentioned Baratari San Juan just now and the new parties, and you suggested it may favor the PNM staying in power. Why the PNM staying in power and not the UNC? Or the PNM getting into power, sorry, because the UNC now holds Samuel Baratari with Saddam Hussein. Um, so let's go with Tobago. I think it'll be interesting to see you know, if the PDP can, can translate the, the election win in Tobago. I mean, it's a high that they have. 
obviously you want to ride that high and you want to continue to, to use the popularity you've gotten coming out of the Tobago election. I think that has to be managed carefully though, because Tobago, the Tobago population would have voted the PDP for a specific reason, to be able to manage the affairs of Tobago and to be able to, to bring Tobago up to a level that they want coming out of the years of PNM ruling and feeling dissatisfied with the PNM. If the population in Tobago feels that the PDP is now looking to ID the greener grass and trainer to get a wider scope, and by doing that, maybe starts to neglect a little bit their, their home in Tobago, then that could have a problem, and that's something that they'll have to manage, you know, very superstition, very, very easily, because it's not something that, that could, could it could hurt them. It depends on how they manage it and keep Tobago and focus on Tobago while still expanding their wings. And that may mean Farley sticking in Tobago and sticking in THA and Mr. Duke coming into Trinidad and spreading the PDP wings in Trinidad while still, you know, maintaining Tobago waters. Why I said Bataria Samoan and that particular thing is because I mean, I, I've lived here all my life. I, I've, I've worked elections here all my life with, 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 the, with the UNC back in the days when my dad was, was a counselor with the UNC and I know the landscape very well. If there is more than one political, if, there, if there's not a two horse race in Bataria Samoan specifically and even St. Joseph, then, then that core PNM support will always be there. The question is whether or not the core UNC support will always be there for the UNC and whether the other party that's coming into the seat in, in Bataria Samoa is able to pull away a bit of that, that support from the UNC because, it, I, and again, I, I speak to this from my, my, my understanding of Bataria Samoa. The PNM support is always going to be there. It's always core, it's always support. But the UNC, and we've seen the example in 2010 when there was a three-horse race between, I think it was Mr. Ross, it was Mr. Fuad Khan, and I think Jamal Mohammed for the, for the COP. Those were the three-horse races in, in 2010. No, not 2010, 2006. I think that's when the, the COP first came on. And in that race, you saw where the COP was able to pull votes from the UNC and Mr. Ross became the surprising winner. So it, ha it has happened and it, it probably could happen again. So that's why I made the point that the PDP and the NTA needs to be strategic in the way that they go about fighting these elections. Because if all three or all four go into a particular seat to win, it could be disastrous. So I believe and I think and I'm pretty sure that there's going to be some backroom talk, although they may not publicly come out and state it now. There is going to be, and there is going to have to be some kind of alliance in terms of the way and what seats people go out and fight. Mr. Griffith has already said the, the name National Transformation Alliance is to include, to, 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 to champion inclusion. So I guess he's already thinking in that Tobago. direction. Yeah. yeah. So again, that's what I said. I think, I mean, I mean it's one thing that you see coming on in the foreground. And it's another thing that you see happening in the back end that, that you don't ever see. And I'm pretty sure these parties or these individuals are talking to one another because they must know. I mean, obviously, that if, if, if it's an all-horse race, then it, 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 it bodes them no well if all go into each constituency and fight its constituency. Because in the end, I think that that, that favors the PNM more than anything else. Yeah. The issue of proportional representation, if we may tack back to that, um, is it that your opinion, is it in your opinion that that's the better model for Trinidad and Tobago? I know the PNM has very consistently said that they're not interested in proportional representation. So that sort of constitutional change will not happen under a PNM administration if you hold them to what they have said historically. Yeah, I mean, the PNM um, has never liked 
portion representation is actually a paper. I remember reading that paper in UV way back in the 70s that was done by the PNM stating the reasons why they don't support proportional representation. It's not something that they will support. I don't think it's something you'll ever get from them. Whether or not I think that's a model for, for Trinidad, it's something that we can look at. It's done in, in, in Guyana, obviously, but Guyana obviously has a different kind of electoral system we do. So I think it's a, I think the fact is a lot of people feel that they are unrepresented by the parties that represent them. Like I said, we have about 700,000 people who may vote in any election, you know, 300, uh, for the PNM, I next 300,000 plus for, for the UNC. And then there's a sizable chunk that just don't vote because they feel neither party represents them and they feel unrepresented in the political process. If we move to a proportional representation system and it affords them the ability to get representation that they need and that they feel they deserve, then it's something maybe we can try out. But then that's a wider discussion for constitutional reform and everything else that you know we've been talking about for over 20-something plus years. I don't know if you can hold because we have the news coming up and there's a couple more questions that we'd like to pose to you. Uh, that, that may be difficult because... Well, let have... me just ask a, a quick final question. What is the biggest challenge or what are the biggest challenges facing the present administration? You have the crime situation that is really out of hand at this time. You have the economy, uh, the re reduction of the subsidy. You have the confidence and trust issue with some uh, executive members. What, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the government? Crime and the economy. It always comes down to crime and the economy. Crime because if people don't feel safe in their homes and people don't feel safe that they can go about and, and live their daily lives, and that, that affects them. And that affects the economy because that has a direct effect on the economy of people going out and doing things and partaking and it affects the economy. And the economy because well, we're part of a global economy and we're seeing what's going on right now worldwide and the effects of that having on, on Trinidad and Tobago. So I think number the top two things that are affecting us right now as a country is crime and the economy because they're both interlinked. Does the public disaggregate? Well, it's happening all over the world, so we're not we're not uh, immune to it. Does that help the government? Or no, is it, it doesn't. Depending on how I feel in my household, that's the way I perceive it. Yeah, politics are local. All politics is local. That's so, that's we, what we I look at, No, yeah, we always <laughs> look at it individually. If I can't, you know, go and spend money to feed my children, or prices are becoming high, then it then affects me. I understand, and people may understand. We may argue. Well, it's global. Every party will feel in this, and every party will feel in this. But we, I think, individuals look at it from an individual perspective. And if it affects me individually, it's going to affect me the way I see and do things, you know, wholeheartedly. Given what you've seen, let me put you in your hot seat. Do you think the non renewal of Gary Griffith's contract was a mistake? I think it was. I'll, I'll give you a different way, I and mean, it may be different. I think it was planned tactical, and they know he would have come out in the political realm, and maybe they want him more in the political realm where he could be attacked more than being a commissioner of police. I wish we had more time to dive into that, but we'll have you back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you, you open a Pandora's box Pandora's there, box yeah. there. <laughs> and, and then say, okay, I'm gone. Politics is a chess game. You need to think three, four, four steps ahead. So I think it was, yeah, I think I, I think it was tactical. That's just my thing for it. Rishi, thanks a lot, man. We appreciate yeah, it. No thanks a lot. All the best. Thank you for choosing Power 102 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.